It's only game. Why you have to be mad? To House of Bards. It's, uh, it's been a long time since we've uh, done one of these, I think. It's been 300 years! Feels like it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we're... Uh... I can't even remember what the last podcast was about. Uh, I don't even know if I remember what this entire podcast is about. Well, I remember the last one I edited together, together was uh, a clip show. Uh, yeah. Before that, goodness knows. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we're back now. Yeah, we're back. Whenever now is, because obviously we can record this now, but I am super busy at the moment, so when exactly this will get edited, I'm really not certain. Mm-hmm. So, um, I believe that we have actually said this on the podcast. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, like, at one point when we were talking about ideas for, you know, episodes that we could do, we mentioned this episode in a very conceptual sense, and we said, no, we want to wait until after... The Force Awakens comes out on DVD yes. to talk about this one, mm. uh, and I believe that the uh, the reason for doing that uh, at the time was because we're going to talk about The Force Awakens and we want you to have seen it first. So yeah. if you intend to watch the new Star Wars movie but you haven't had a chance to yet, then don't listen to this episode yet. Yeah, because it, it will contain spoilers like, yeah. of The Force Awakens. Go go and buy the DVD, or I think it's like available on demand from like um, amazon and stuff yeah i think it's on the sky star yeah. as well I, I don't really know how that technology works i haven't really had a chance to play around with it yet mm. um as with many technologies that i am conceptually interested in but cannot really invest money in mm. uh but i'm pretty sure that you can do that so that might be a good thing to check out in any case uh so what's our topic beth because uh, this was originally your idea the this Today's topic, this month's, this week's, this podcast's topic, is essentially it is about Mary Sue's. What makes a Mary Sue? Um, what is a Mary Sue? How does one go about not creating a Mary Sue? And do Mary Sues honestly even exist? That is a good question. Mm. That is a good question. But first, we kind of need to, I think. What inspired this was The Force Awakens. Now, mm. I am not one of these people that thinks Rey is a Mary Sue. I, I, always I. Think, um, I always think calling her that is completely ridiculous. She's mm. a capable, flawed protagonist with both good points and bad. And mm. everything she succeeds at, she has a viable reason of backing up at everything she succeeds in. Yes, she has uh, a lot of traits that are subtly implied uh, throughout mm. the film. There is a complaint that uh, in both her case and Finn's, a lot of that surrounding material isn't really uh, in the text, as it were. And yeah, it comes I think out that's... in supplementary materials a lot, which we as like patrons of um, gaming franchises that do that quite frequently, I think, complain yeah. about less. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I but complain it about it less. Criticism. But it's, I think, honestly, I do think Star Wars fans have a great capacity at dealing with supplementary expanded universe material oh, than yeah, like absolutely. any of the fans. Although I suppose that technically uh, you could imagine that some of the new fan base brought in by The Force Awakens uh, were operating on an expectation that the existence of the new films was supposed to mitigate some of that. Because they did yeah. just wipe the slate clean of the entire legacy canon. 
Mm, to to an extent, yeah. I th- I think they've kept and kept bits and. Uh, I'm given to understand that up until a point where a new core film contradicts something that the yeah. expanded universe says, that expand yeah. that part of the Legends canon remains part of the main canon. So mm. most of the pre prequel yeah. stuff, I think, is safe for the moment. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, the all of the animated series. I think maybe apart from the droids one. <laughs> but does anyone honestly remember that? I don't I even think know that, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's the, yeah, good. Don't watch it. Um, but it was about C-3PO and R2-D2 um, flying around space with a really butch lesbian and a really, really whiny like kid male protagonist. Okay. <laughs> and, the, and the super butch lesbian was inexplicably in love with the whiny kid male protagonist. Why do I even know about this? It's only because I love R2-D2 and C-3PO so much. But anyway, I think the cartoons are safe. I think some of the comics are safe. At least the new ones that Marvel are working on are safe. Yeah. Um, and I know that all of the video games supposedly are safe. Well, so. not all of them. Because well, the... Them. Um, oh, let me think. All the Kyle Katarn games are gone. Right, So, yeah. uh, Dark Forces, Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight, Jedi Knight 2, however that exactly that works out. Jedi Academy as well is gone. Oh, is Jedi Academy gone? Yeah, Jedi Academy is after Jedi Knight 2, so so Aww. it's gone. So, ev- any... Like, ostensibly, Kyle Katarn and Jan Ors as characters could still exist, but they would be oh, doing yeah. entirely different things in an entirely yeah. different timeline, and the, those games are now non-canon. Yeah, okay. Um... But as far as I'm aware, things like Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, yeah, canon. that's fine. Um, the shit people care about is still in canon. All the, you say awful the shit people com- care about. Lots of people liked Kyle Katarn. I liked Kyle Katarn. <laughs> I'm making fun. I'm making fun. I know, and, and but, I like. I wanted. I, I I was happy that that he and Jan were like happy. It yeah. was it was nice, even in its maybe they, weird post quake glory. Maybe maybe they are still happy somewhere. They, 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 I don't know. Just... I didn't finish Jedi Academy, so I don't actually know how things end up for Kyle. Because he, he fe- he's not the protagonist of that game, but he features heavily in it. Right. Also, like, shout out to Jedi Academy for having, like, the most obvious antagonist, like, peer in it. Like, when you start out, there's, like, this one kid who's just, like, really <laughs> aggressive and, like... Is just a little shit, and and uh, always like complains that everything is unfair and that he should be progressing faster than everyone else. And I'm like, do they not? Do they not screen for this shit? <laughs> is it not obvious that that he's <laughs> no? Is there a scene where he destroys your dream journal and you accuse him of it, and then he he's like, no, okay, I did not, I did not expel him immediately. Beth. I, ha- I have warned you before about memeing in this podcast. <laughs> so anyway, the Force Awakens. Is yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah, the, the, the Force Awakens. So, um, certainly, uh, for my part, what I find most amusing about the uh, the very impassioned um, complaint that Ray is an overpowered Mary Sue of a character is how much of that complaint is reliant on the idea that Kylo Ren, the uh, the antagonist of the film, is at all good at anything. Uh, so they, they seem to have it in their head that, that Kylo Ren is a 
an accomplished, if impulsive, Sith warrior of the kind that that one might see. Uh, maybe not invader, but we're we're saying like Maul territory here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And know, it's like decent. It's yeah. like no, he's not. He's really shit at everything. Like, I, I was gonna say he's Snoke's special favorite, but to be honest, I don't even think he is. I think it's mainly just that like Snoke likes how angry he is and. Yeah. He's the most accomplished of the Knights of Ren, who, if Kylo is the best of them, are probably really shit at everything. <laughs> the Force Awakens presents us with a, a a Republic that is really not concerned about the First Order and is not really prepared to fight them. So no, yeah, it's they're not, not they're... like the the grade of quality of their uh, their uh, Dark Jedi, I suppose, because the uh, the the Knights of Ren and Snoke aren't Sith. Yeah, um, is. Like, there's not a particularly high bar for that. You basically have to wave a lightsaber around and uh, intimidate people and just do it low profile enough that the Republic will ignore you until you take your giant not-Death Star and blow up their not-Alderaan. Yeah, which, to be fair, right, right, the Starkiller base, that's not even Snoke or, like, Kylo Ren's idea, it was Hux's idea. To be honest, Hux is the most accomplished of, like, the uh, the villain uh, triad there. He actually Uh, gets shit done. Hux, Hux, Hux is the most competent villain. Hmm. He is the most underrated character in, in my opinion, in the Force Awakens. He does, he has a strong, he does have a strong fo- fo- following, to be fair. Hmm. But it did take a while for it to build up. I was like, no, this this guy's the one in charge. Yeah, What's and like on? Captain Phasma, I think as a villain, sort of represents what all of us would be as like a villain. Like as soon as she's like shown uh, this active threat. From like Finn and, and Han and Chewie and Ray, she's just like, all right, yeah, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not happy about it, but whatever. I'm gonna keep myself alive, uh, play my cards right, which is yeah. not particularly brave, but probably shrewd. Yeah, you know, given that those guys had plot armor most of the time. Yeah, up until you know, the the thing happened. Yeah. We don't really have to talk uh, euphemistically. We're assuming everyone listening has seen the film. Yeah, Han Solo died. Yeah, because his own kid killed his him. Son. Oh, that's, that's rough. Mm. That's rough. But it's like, I know a lot of people don't know that the reason why Kylo Ren's lightsaber has a crossguard is not for like any combat uh, like advantage. It's because he's really shit at making lightsabers and like the crystal is cracked and he has to have exhausts for it. But... Kylo Ren is shit at everything. That's his deal. He's angry about that. He's yeah. impulsive. He's destructive. He's constantly looking up to a man who, whilst incredibly evil, was far better than he would ever have been. Yeah. Like, his whole deal is that there's a very, very low bar for him to be threatening, and he's not actually very accomplished at anything. So it's not particularly unbelievable, the idea that he would get his ass kicked while injured by... A woman with a like, you know, de- like, decent amount fair. of grounding in practical skills yeah. in a harsh environment yeah. and a natural affinity for the Force, which yeah, that... loads of characters in the canon have. Yeah, and let let's be honest: with Rare is trained in combat. Absolutely, like that, she can fight, and a lot of people are like double-ended, double-ended lightsaber for Rare. And I'm like, yeah, that would work with her fighting style. Yeah, because she uses a staff. That's that's what she does. 
Yeah. And you know when she gets the double-ended lightsaber, everyone's going to be like, see, she's a Mary Sue, she's got a special weapon and she's not a villain. It's like, fuck off, okay? Ahsoka Tano had a special weapon. She had she had the, the like, white lightsabers and no one says she's a Mary Sue. At least I hope not. I was going to say, like, uh, I was going to say, yeah, like, like Bastila Shan had a double-ended lightsaber, but let's not pretend yeah. that people didn't hate Bastila Shan. Yeah. I, I feel but, yeah, that, that was unfair, but... but yeah, that, that's not pretend that society doesn't inherently hate women and women characters, you know, that's... I, I find important. it very difficult to, to pretend that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. You see, like, the stuff when uh, the trailer for Rogue One comes out, and yeah. suddenly all these Star Wars bros are complaining that there's another new Star Wars film and it's got a female protagonist. I'm like, the, the ratio here for those protagonists is two to six. This does not make you look good yeah. at all. I mean, like, even I could, in a vacuum. I suppose not. you could argue that the prequels didn't have a solid protagonist, but even then, most of the main characters in the prequels See, are dudes. See, I, I feel narratively the prequels didn't have a solid main protagonist, but like yeah. it was pretty obvious which character's story they existed to tell. Oh, yeah. So it's. I, I think most people would agree that, that yeah. Anakin is supposed to be, at least up until halfway yeah. through Revenge of the Sith, the protagonist. I I actually think it's it's Obi Wan's story, but that's... I mean, yeah, yeah, it, like it tells Obi Wan's story as well. But but Obi Wan, as you may have noticed, is also a dude. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of criticisms that can be made, and I think Beth yeah. probably wants to talk about some of them in more detail. But definitely the one that gets to me is how much of the argument that Rey is a Mary Sue is inherently reliant on the idea that Kylo Ren is accomplished at doing yeah. anything at all. Yeah. It's just yeah. fucking hilarious. Yeah, I don't know, I'm not saying that Kylo Ren can't fight, that Kylo Ren can't use the Force, that Kylo Ren is absolute turd at doing what he's doing, but he's not good at doing what no, he's doing. No, he's he's passable at best. He has yeah. really a basic academic understanding of how to do most of the things that he tries to do, either with the Force or with a lightsaber. And most of his like lightsaber style is just flailing around angrily. Yeah. Which is intimidating, not, yeah. but not actually particularly effective. Yeah. And let's that's, that's not pretend at, for any second that he doesn't have severe problems in controlling his emotions. Oh, no, no. Like, uh, Kylo Ren is because, severely mentally ill and is being abused. But Yeah. But at the same time, that that is not going to make you good at fighting. No. Right? No. It's, you know... He, he has severe anger management problems as well, so that kind of makes him yeah. bad at fighting. It's yeah. just... Like the the fight in the forest is not nobody is fighting well in in that fight. Yeah. Like that. Like, Finn and Ray, there are two of them. Both of them are like trained in handling a melee weapon. Like you notice, whenever Finn picks up a lightsaber, he carries yeah. it in a way that would give you to understand that he was trained to carry a melee weapon the same way that um, Traitor was. Yes. Uh, which makes My sense because character. he's a fucking stormtrooper. Like, yeah, that's that's exactly it's what. Like, it's like he's had fucking combat training. Fucking yeah, get over and like it. obviously and he has like, combat not... training in some things. Like he doesn't know how to fire the uh, the the um, turret guns on the uh, the Tie Fighter, but he yeah. he's like trained as a ground um, shock troop, which means he knows how to use a variety of ranged and melee weapons. And that's true. For Ray, it's the same thing. She knows yeah. how to handle a gun. She knows how to handle a staff. Because I mean, she actually, lived I would Dom point Jakku. out that she doesn't actually know how to handle a gun that well at all. No, like, she I has think like she the can... basic idea, which I think yeah. makes sense because on Jakku she would have been around guns a lot. 
but yeah. she probably hasn't had much opportunity to use one herself. Mm. Like, re- really, the majority of, of Ray's kind of... The, the one area where they're like, oh, she's a Mary Sue, I can kind of get behind is when they're like, the ship stuff. And not that she knows a lot about ships, because she's been junking her on ships all life, but the fact that she can immediately fly the Millennium Falcon. But at the same time... She's been around ships a lot. She knows how they work. She's been around these ruins a lot. Of course, she'd be able she, to navigate them. I I didn't think that this came across well in the uh, in in the film because I don't think it's immediately obvious to like the people watching that scene that that's what she's doing. But yeah. uh, she like plays flight simulators all the time. That oh. that that is oh, yeah, that is her does, that is her um, uh, relaxation activity. So. It would make sense that she would have an academic understanding of how to fly most ships, especially since it's previously established in the canon that the property of being a starship pilot is transitive. Starships are similar enough in their construction and control that being able to fly one means you're reasonably good at flying another. Like cars. Yes. Yes, like cars. Or bikes. Have you ever sat on a bike and been like, Mm. I don't know what I'm doing here? Or... Aircraft or boats of a certain size. Yeah. You know, I think, you know. Most of that stuff is, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same. Yeah, and the, the reason why most of that stuff is the same is, you know, so you can learn yeah. how to use different models. Well, uh, it's partly that, and, and also because, like, as long as the type of vehicle remains roughly the same, the number of things that its operator might want it to do remains roughly the same, so there's no yeah. particular gain in making the controls different. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like. But no, I, I do think that 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 scene could have been communicated better because, mm. like, it yeah. it just sort of it doesn't really indicate that that's what she's doing. Yeah, but that that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about abilities, and I would like to point out that any any character who is a protagonist is going to have abilities. Absolutely, like, yeah. Especially in chosen one narratives, they're going mm-hmm. to have something that makes them interesting to talk about, whether it's. Um, a profession or a job, you know, like even if you watch something like a romantic comedy, most of the characters in that have interesting jobs. And if they don't have interesting jobs, it is impressed upon you that the ordinariness of them and the boringness of their job is like the extraordinary thing. In fact, hmm. yeah. that makes sense. It's like, oh, this is a waitress and she hates it, you know, or um, you know. But normally, you know, either protagonists are unsurprisingly overwhelmingly writers nearly almost all of the time have you noticed this i feel like you're possibly (laughs) reading too much stephen king but whatever no like well yeah but like it's it's quite common isn't it like a protagonist is a writer well write what you know i guess yeah well yeah that's the thing isn't it write what you know Mm. everyone you know and i guess also that gives uh the idea of somebody who has a very normal job but is as part of their day-to-day life, particularly observant, which makes them a good narrator. Yeah, yeah. Depending on what exactly what kind of writer they are. Like, sometimes yeah. they're journalists, because that's close yes. enough that, like, writers can be like, eh, that's, it's basically the same thing in a different field. I should be yeah. able to write that. Yeah. And it gives them an excuse to get out into the into yeah. the world. You know, you know what you don't see many protagonists of, which I think is probably going to change in the next few years? You don't see many um, game devs as protagonists. Yeah, um... There are two reasons for that, one of which I think is going to go away and the other of which I don't. Uh, game devs don't do a lot of the stuff that other creatives do, and I think that's well, yeah, the, no, the yeah, hidden that, bit, yeah. but there's also the fact yeah. that a lot of uh, creatives don't understand how to write game devs, and it's like, well... That's true, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. 
Strategy but you, you would think there would be a few indie games, wouldn't you? Because indies do like uh, indies, a lot. indies do sometimes like get out into into the world to try and get an inspiration and stuff. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like you could probably have a series where um, programmers, uh, as long as you found some way to sort of quantify the idea of whatever the the magic in your world is as programming, which yeah. is what I do in my world, but but also like not what I'm talking about here. Uh, it's yeah. a bit confusing, but but like, you could sort of give that an active uh, role, and then it sort of becomes uh, more practical to have a a game dev protagonist or yeah. any kind of developer protagonist. Yeah, well, you're de- you're definitely getting more um hacker protagonists, which yeah. makes sense in the stern age. It's, it's like the problem is the normal software production cycle is not a particularly interesting thing to base a narrative around. No. Unless the narrative that you're basing around it is not really an adventure-based narrative, it's more to do with the people who are involved in... <laughs> I would love to see a Parks and Recreation like type, yeah. or office type show about like a game production company. I believe some exist and they're shit. Oh, that's a shame. But maybe there will be a good one at some point. I'm on, eventually, wouldn't yeah, there? Yeah, I, like, I would think so. Gaming is becoming such a popular cultural thing yeah. that eventually... It's like... There's still a lot of people in film and TV who don't really understand how game development works, or even software yeah. development in general, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I, yeah. Like, I think we'll probably see some of that stuff yeah. at some point. Yeah. Well, the, I think the crossover is going to get bigger and bigger. I think, especially when you have like, um, you're going to have writers who will have worked in multiple different industries mm. as well. Oh, absolutely. Going to and I, I think ser- also uh, once pe- like journalists get more turned on to the more um, I don't want to say glamorous, but perhaps more uh, actively exciting uh, and action-based uh, side of game dev. So um, I'm thinking primarily of like game jams and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I think it would be easier to write about those things. Yeah. Um, I feel like Train Jam would probably make quite a good documentary. Yeah. Um, just like have somebody, like, have a camera crew on the train as well to just sort of yeah. like interview them. But then again, after... Um, Polaris's disastrous game jam. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, I feel like maybe they want to sort of like go hands off with the whole uh, media coverage of, of that sort of thing just yeah. for a bit. Because wow, that was a shit show. Yeah. Uh, that that was that was amazingly but, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. What were we talking about? Um, you know, it's you know protagonists in general and heroes in general. They have to have something unique or different or special about them not all the time no but that in itself is unusual yeah it's like sometimes it's enough that that character is given the uh, narrator role that Mm. they are in a particular position to observe something happening yeah um and sometimes there are a variety of characters who all have those particular strengths and uh Mm. in that case um I know we gave a spoiler warning for Star Wars at the beginning, uh, but I actually really want to talk about Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn trilogy for a moment. Okay. Uh, and and this is actually like a, a spoiler for the end of the the third book, so uh, skip over this bit, I guess, if you are in the middle of reading those. Uh, I'm given to understand that if you haven't started reading them yet, there's a good chance that you won't really be able to get into them. I love them, but whatever. Um, how for a long... T- like, all throughout the thir- the first book... Uh, it's kind of indicated that the chosen one is Kelsia, and then Kelsia dies, and then it's like, oh, Kelsia was always supposed to die. That was his plan. Uh, 
So then, um, I forget what the girl's name is, but like all through the second and third books, it's more and more like like she's the chosen one, that she's the one who's gonna like put everything right because she's doing all of the plot important stuff, mm. and then right at the end, like she does do a really plot important crescendo thing, uh, where and and she and her boyfriend die, but the really important crescendo thing that she did wasn't like the fulfillment of the prophecy or anything. And then, like, this side character... I say side character. He's, I suppose at that point, after all the people who've died, he's sort of like the uh, the mm. Ron Weasley, I yeah. guess. Um, there, it turns out that, that it's actually, like, supposed to be him uh, all, all along. Uh, and he turns into God and fixes everything. <laughs> nice. Good work. Uh, and then, then you have, like, this one character who was followed as part of one of the story threads in the third book but was otherwise like a really really seaside character um just being the only surviving person and therefore the most important person in the narrative because everyone else has either died or turned into god and it's just okay so that this is this is the dude who gets to survive through the end nice so you can do that sort of thing if you have a lot of characters who have like skills that are not really like um super special Mary, Mary Sue skills but are just good at doing what they do yeah which actually to be fair is how most people do right like even Star Wars oh yeah they they could like 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 Rey doesn't need to be on Starkiller Base the reason why she's on Starkiller Base is because she got kidnapped Finn needs to be on Starkiller Base Han Solo needs to be on Starkiller Base Chewie needs to be on Starkiller Base no one else really needs to be on. Like that's it. That's that's the team they send, and they have like Paul and his pilots doing mm. the pilot thing. You know, she is yeah. there incidentally. She's she's not. You know, like they want to rescue her because they know that's where she is, but she's not actually supposed to be there. She's not integral to the completion of that plot. They they could have done the Star Killer bit without her. Hmm. And it's like um, a lot of the time in. in uh... The original trilogy and in The Force Awakens, it's the sheer um, lack of available Jedi that makes the ones that they have so powerful. Mm. It's like if your pool of Force users is very, very small, then their skill comparative to each other is generally not that relevant. Yeah. It's like um, Luke's training was not good. It was better than yeah. Rey's, uh, at least in, in yeah. the Jedi stuff, but it was not really, like, incredibly, you know, uh, in-depth compared to the stuff yeah. they did in the Old Republic. Yeah. And then you you see, like, Anakin surrounded by groups of, of Jedi who are vastly better than him at pretty much everything. Um, mm. But it's just, he's competent. It's mm. fine. But you you look at his, like, development and at the development of those around him a lot more than you look at him being the best at everything, because he really yeah. isn't. I mean, Anakin is a very good Jedi in, in Clone Wars. He's very powerful, but it's nothing another Jedi can't do. I think it's less that, that Anakin... Because the thing is, there's a difference between Anakin being very powerful and him actually being good at what he does. Yeah. Like, he has he's... a lot of potential and he yeah. has a lot of power, but he's not... If, yeah. If you've ever watched sci-fi debris, you'll know that in Clone Wars, I very much think Anakin's tactics are very similar to the person who does that, where it's... He basically just throws clones at the problem until it goes away. He's not an actual general. <laughs> like, he gets a lot of people killed just because he can. <laughs> as, lo as, long as, it's, as long as it's not... As long as it's a clone, it's fine. They're disposable. 
you know. Anakin is there in Clone Wars to do morally questionable things and the Imperial March to play in the background. Hmm. So, how does any of this relate to role-playing games? I think everyone... Look, everyone's going to make a Mary Sue in their lifetime, probably, if they, if they even exist. Uh, absolutely. Either in a role-playing game or in writing. Like, if they exist, yeah. you will make one. And it's yeah. not necessarily bad that you made one. Yeah, it's part of just growing and learning as a writer that um, of how to create a compelling character because most Mary Sues aren't really... Like, Mary Sue, I kind of feel, is a shit term for a Mary Sue. The actual proper term is boring, invincible hero, hmm. which for some reason is considered a separate trope, even though it is the same thing. It's just boring, invincible heroes are often considered to be men. Yeah, and to be honest, <laughs> it's getting real fucking irritating uh, the number of times somebody thinks that they're the bee's knees for figuring out that there can be male Mary Sues. Yeah. Uh, like every single, and it's usually Batman. Let's be real here. Yeah. Usually, when people figure this out, it's because they yeah. look at Batman and go, "Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Oh." <laughs> and they're like, "No, you are not actually the per- first person to figure this out. In fact, yeah, there were people before this concept existed who knew about this." Yeah. The boring invincible heroes a trope that's been around way longer. It normally actually gets applied to uh, Superman, even though I don't think it's true for Superman. Um, but again, with comic book, comic characters, it's always mm. going to be depending on the right of flaws and traits are transient and negligible um, at best. Um, it's because it's, it's comics, mm. um, and you're always going to have a different writer. Um, but yeah, boring invincible heroes. They they they've always kind of been a thing. They're probably like this is something exist- I've been uh, reasonably confused about uh, recently. So if anybody listening uh, watches pro wrestling. Okay. Could you explain, uh, does John Cena fit into this this particular trope that we're talking about? Because uh, most of my exposure to John Cena is memes, and I am now coming to understand that that might not be 100% accurate as to what the general viewing public's opinion of him is. Uh, but it's that, that general sort of thing is that if a hero is, well boring and invincible or it boring because they are invincible well yeah like, that, a boring invincible hero isn't boring because they're boring mm. you know whatever that means their invincibility their the the essence of they don't struggle for anything they don't ever mm. seem to come up against any opposition none of their achievements them... really have any weight because there was no risk to yeah. like, them achieving them yeah and i mean boring invincible heroes can come in strength they can come in terms of ability um, you know, whether that's intelligence-based or superpower-based. It should be clear, um, boring invincible heroes do not exist in real life, and if they no. did, we would, ha- I think, have a much different opinion toward them than we do to the ones we see in fiction, because having somebody who could effortlessly succeed in anything within their wheelhouse that they attempt to do reliably, as long as you're on the same side as that person, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, That's, yeah, that's well, like, somebody... Yeah. like. Imagine in sports, you have like somebody who, who for whom it is absolutely effortless to perform perfectly. Like you're thinking of Michael Jordan. I'm. Am I? Am I thinking of Michael Jordan? Yeah, yeah you're thinking of Michael Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, or, um, I. I'm not. I'm not thinking of Michael Jordan because I already prefaced this ramble <laughs> by saying that actual boring invincible heroes don't exist. But Beyonce. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> no, she's not boring. <laughs> um. I, I feel like like um, 
I mean, I'm not saying that that she doesn't fit into the 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 slot at least a little bit, but um, I feel like Beyonce is just very very resistant in terms of the power of her fan base to like opposition she does receive. Yeah, I, I, I feel so, like yeah. a, a boring invincible hero would destroy their their opposition so completely that. <laughs> It would never rear its ugly head. And, uh, uh, yeah, and Piers Morgan is still alive, I, so... I, I knew you were going to mention Piers Morgan. Fucking hell. <laughs> I read I read a rebuttal in that today by um, Jamelia, and she was like... And she, she destroyed him. I, I knew that about was... Jamelia's rebuttal largely because of uh, Piers Morgan's follow-up tweet, and oh that got retweeted onto my timeline, quoted by somebody who just said, delete your account. <laughs> fucking hell you can go and look up Piers Morgan's follow up tweet if you like I'm not going to give it traffic it's 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 not good it's it's is not it worth super, your time is it racist um no but but that concept is involved it's oh, Piers, Piers, Piers Morgan's like what's <laughs> like Piers Morgan's the word for that you know that villain who's just an absolute no, he's not like a villain. He's like you, yeah, right? You know, in TV shows where it's like um, they always do like um, a newsreader or a politician who's just an absolute asshole towards the hero all the time. J. Jonah Jameson. Piss Morgan is J. Jonah Jameson, but like not funny. Uh, what about like Kalisa Algilani, but even more politically disaligned? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's Piss Morgan. Mm. <laughs> I, I want the. I, I want. <laughs> thing for this. I want this to be Kalisa Aljani's body, right? And I want Pierce Morgan's head on her. That's that's what I want the background image for this to be. I'm really upset because I can see that in the, my mind's eye and it's absolutely horrifying, but now that you've mentioned it, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very upset. Get me, pi- get me pictures of Beyonce. That's, that's, that's combined. I'm really, all. I'm really confused. Upset. So anyway, um, <laughs> it is very unlikely that you are going to make a character who functionally acts yeah. as a Mary Sue or boring invincible hero in your yeah. uh, campaign because you're going to be playing with other people and those other people will also have characters that will do things. Yeah. So as long also- as there's like a, a healthy dialogue between you and those other players and you're not like dominating the game all the time... There yeah. shouldn't be much of a problem. If you are, uh, maybe you have things stop you need to like resolve. That? Like, like stop doing <laughs> yeah. that. But if you're then like told that you're doing that, try and make an effort to change. Um, mm. If you're worrying that you're doing that, uh, talk to your DM and to the other players because yeah. maybe they'll have an idea and they'll probably and, appreciate yeah. that you're sort of vaguely aware that you might be doing that. Mm. I think as well. The thing is, a lot of Mary Sue stuff is based on ability. Um, we'll get into the personality stuff and the way people react and treat Mary Sue's later on. Um, but um, because a lot of it is ability based, eventually you are going to. And this this isn't like you probably will. This is a you definitely at some point will fail a clutch roll. Oh yeah, for sure. And and fuck everything up for everyone. So don't worry about it on that front because mm. you'll definitely fail. So it's fine. <laughs> Don't worry, you definitely will fail. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, I think that having a mechanically focused system helps with this because obviously, yeah. if 
your abilities as a character are laid out in the system, then the chance of you overstepping the boundaries of those abilities is much less. Yeah, and I think as well, a lot of the times people, you know, D&D especially asks you for a character flaw. It asks you for something yeah. that your character does wrong. And, and um, this isn't like, like a job interview character flaw, where it's like, tell us about a, a flaw that you think that you have. And you're like, well, um, I think that, that, that sometimes I work too hard. Uh, one time, That's what I said! One time I worked so hard that the company that I was working for ran out of work for anyone to do ever, and they had to close. That is what I said, and that got me a job. So <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure it's what I said as well, and it's a fucking lie. Or at least yeah, it, it like, was a fucking lie at that time. I think yeah, like, it's, the you know, experience it's I, is... is uh... Yeah, I absolutely am a hard worker, and I will mm. absolutely... If someone asks me to do something, I will be like, yeah, I'll do that. No, no questions asked. And sometimes I make commitments that maybe I am not physically or mentally adept at keeping and I shouldn't have made that promise. But that's an actual flaw. You can't actually actual like flaw. talk about the consequences of that flaw in a job interview, which is like what we're what we're like complaining about. And yeah. I mean, uh obviously if you're a potential employer uh listening, I probably wouldn't use that that particular thing because I've already said that I don't think it's honest to do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, and a lot of the stuff has changed since the last time I did a, a job interview. To be honest, because you know I, I yeah. did one for my internship, and then lots of things happened in that year. Some of them good, and some of them not. Uh, there was probably quite a lot uh, that wasn't helped by the fact that I was sort of you know experiencing severe mental illness and not really seeking any help for that. Mm. But things are marginally better now. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's um, it's an actual flaw that fifth edition wants you to give. Yeah, uh, and you know, like it is really only a role playing flaw, but uh, yeah, it should be reasonably easy to pick one up if you yeah. really think about it. Like, th- yeah. think about what would this character do that would do as a part of their normal, like everyday functioning that would be annoying or irritating or disadvantageous or dangerous or whatever. Yeah, I think. Oh God, what what would, what's Jazz? Because Jazz went through character development recently. Uh, well, don't, don't you have your sheet with you? I do, but it, it's definitely changed since then. Like, I think before it was, like, really gobby, won't shut up, always, like, getting in the face of authority. It's That's not really it anymore. Well, hang on. Let's see if I can pull up Asriel's. Um, oh. Well, I, I can... Asriel has a lot of flaws. Asriel does, <laughs> but there is one specific flaw that is the one that is listed on his sheet. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between the many character flaws that Asriel has... <laughs> and the character flaw that Azrael is supposed to have. Yeah. Oh god, god, I I really really love this. Um. Uh, Azrael's stated flaw. Oh no, this is something I knew he had, but I didn't know that it was like his actual flaw on his sheet. Whoops, I think I just knocked the mic there. Um, I hold no value for material wealth aside from its immediate conversion into goods relevant to the continuation of life and will do this to all such wealth I hold at the first possible opportunity. Which basically means Asriel doesn't like amassing money and will give it away at the first opportunity uh, to people to whom it can be converted into relevant like food or shelter or sex sometimes. Yeah. Uh, there, there was one time where he had like one of the most ostentatious orgies offered by a brothel, uh, just to get rid of all the money that he had. 
Because <laughs> like, I remember you dumping the money on, and they were like, "Holy shit!" Uh, I, God, I don't I, he, even he, know. I think he was just like, uh, "So, I want like the biggest party that you can throw, and just keep getting more debauched until all the money's gone." <laughs> and, and they were like, uh, "I mean, like we can." I mean, for, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was like they'd just like go up to him and like whisper in his ear and go, "Well, we can." Uh, and if we got four or five more people, then we could. Uh, and then if we got a photographer in, then then he could like sit at the, at the edge and then while you. <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, sure, that sounds good. Let's do it." Yeah, like he got he like they got like photographs taken, like he went on fucking Thunder Mountain at Disney World. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which is definitely the name of that brothel now, Thunder Mountain. <laughs> if it wasn't before, it is now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thunder Mountain. I wonder what happened to those photographs. Like, presumably, he still has them. I think he probably does have some copies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see why the photographer wouldn't make multiple copies. Hmm. Well, that was I mean, expensive, and that was yeah. an experience. <laughs> Christ! I do love that, like, even here on the sheet, uh, you go down like the little boxes on a fifth edition sheet for uh, like copper, silver, electrum, gold, platinum, and they're just all blank except for the gold one, which has a big number zero in it, <laughs> because he just straight gave away all his money to somebody else. I think, yeah, I think you gave it to Coslin, didn't I'm you? I'm pretty actually? sure he did, yeah. It was somebody in the party. Yeah. Uh, and that that is his character flaw because he's a, a cleric of Denska, the god of death, and he's like very much of the you-can't-take-it-with-you opinion. So he's like, amassing material wealth is pointless, and I'm going to take this <laughs> idea to its extremes and just <laughs> not amass any like long-standing material possessions at all. That yeah. aren't like directly he- helping me accomplish what I'm trying to do at the current time, which you would think would make him self-sacrificing like a monk, but he's honestly really not. <laughs> he's honestly <so> not. <laughs> Again, another character plot. Not actually self-sacrificing, kind of a tool. I mean, like he's not really <laughs> supposed to be self-sacrificing. No, he's not. He's not. He's not. But he's bad-tempered and suspicious. <laughs> And sarcastic and a massive contrarian. Uh, none of which were really intended, but I sort of like like the number of... Because this is the thing, right? Giving your character flaws can be just as fun as, as, as giving your character abilities. Um, so long as everybody at the table is cool with you having those flaws. Like, it's not really cool if you're, like deliberately doing something that other people at the table really aren't comfortable with, but you're like, oh, well, it's what my character would... Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, you can tone that stuff down. Um, And it's like... I don't know, like, like sort of try and and get the temperature of the the group to see what sort of thing is going to fly. Um... If the... Because, like, you could get away with, like, all but one of you, um being sort of like flawed, difficult to deal with uh, people who are very good at one thing but perhaps aren't the best people to interact socially 
if one person sort of has it in their mind that they want to be the straight man and and basically just like go <sighs> okay yeah. give, give me a moment i'm gonna sort out this mess that you've all like done by offending this this noble dignitary that's 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 both of the current roleplay groups. That's yeah. It's like well, well who who is it? It's like um. It's it's definitely Valanthe in my group. Yeah, in, well, yeah, you know. and and at the minute, I, I would it's, say uh, it's it's Zell. Yeah, it's it's Zell, and it was an extent to an extent Balasar before he did have a yeah. bit of uh, of a point where like Balasar and Marion would sort of like switch in between, like passing the role whenever something relevant to their particular like reason for acting out would come up. Yeah. It's like, okay, when, you know, this thing comes up, Balasar's gonna act like a dick, so Marion's gonna step into this role and then vice versa. Yeah. But now it's just Zell, because... Yeah. <laughs> because I think uh, Marion and, and Jay have both taken, like, massive heel turns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is all... Uh, as soon as the paladin joins, all the chaotic good characters <laughs> suddenly... Yeah. That's so good. I anymore. say like chaotic good. Like like Jay is is officially not chaotic good anymore. No, yeah, that that's changed. Yeah, yeah. and and indeed, um, Jay is not a very religious person. But I feel like the next time they uh, they try to commune with uh, with their god, um, may have a nasty surprise. Oh dear! Because there's a rule about alignments and like worshiping a god. And maybe Kimoni's not so cool with the idea that that rule is now being broken. Oh dear. But possibly some other deity is cool with that idea. Uh-huh. Who knows? Oh. But I haven't really had the opportunity for that because they're going to go and fight this big burly elf lady in uh, in the, in the, the like factory level, I guess. <laughs> it's, a, it's a boss fight on top of like a whole load of, of uh, smelters where they're like melting down stolen jewellery into crude gold ingots. Which basically just exists so that they could have a factory level boss fight where there's a chance that people might fall into molten metal. <laughs> you know the drill by now. You, you, you've you played yeah. this video game. Yeah. Be real. You've, you've watched the first Batman movie made by Tim Burton. You've I have. I forget what to... that has to do with, with what we're talking about. I think he falls into like a vat, vat of acid or something and it fucks up his face. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But that that was just a thing that happened to him, though. That wasn't... Yeah. I, I don't think that Batman was particularly involved in that. Yeah. So, I I think that the, the next um, thing we come to when we talk about Mary Sue's is, um, as we've previously said, like not facing any opposition is kind of a big deal, um, and always easily accomplishing goals is sort of, you know, to that. But the other one is um, having everyone like them. And as Alex previously pointed out, if a person in real life could easily accomplish everything reliably, we would really like them. Well, people who benefited from them being able to accomplish things would really well, yeah. like them. People who didn't, or who were actively inconvenienced by that, would hate them. So they'd be very yeah. polarising people. Well, yeah, but you know, if if Superman actually existed in real life, we might be suspicious of him because, like, yeah, no one man should have all that power. And also because we've sort of got this idea in our heads that altruists don't exist. Yeah. But no, I think most people would be like, okay, uh, I'm cool with the idea of of Superman, actual invincible superhuman who can like stop all of the bad things that happen. Mm. Like, yeah, 
I, I'm I'm cool with yeah. with that person existing and helping us out, especially since he doesn't appear to really want anything in return other than us being nice to him, which yeah. we were gonna do anyway. So yeah, okay, yeah. Apart from Batman, God, Batman, why'd you have to ruin everything? Mm. But the, <laughs> the, you know, but yeah, it's one of these things. Was so in a fictional universe, it would make sense if you are very good and reliable and capable at doing the thing you're doing that people will like you. I'm not necessarily saying that as a person your value is in your skills. No. But but I, I think that, like, as long as somebody isn't... I, I, I think it does depend on the kind of skill, because if somebody has, like, a really yeah. good skill and you also have that skill, uh, you might feel threatened by them as competition and overshadowed yeah. by them, in which case you're probably not going to like them. But yeah. if it's a practical thing that they can do, yeah. Like, you're probably at least uh, kind of happy that that person is around. Yeah. You know, it's... You know, yeah. Because it's like, okay, well, I would like to try and do this thing, but superhuman Superman can also do the thing if I fuck up and do it correctly. And I know that he will, so that's good. Mm. Um, you know. I, I, I would say the biggest problem that you have to, to, to face here is, uh, is your character a Mary Sue... The answer is no. no. Yeah. Because whether or not real. Mary Sue's actually exist, <laughs> and also whether... Well, like, Mary Sue's don't exist in real life, but whether or not they no. actually exist as, like, a literary-based critical construct, if you're, like, playing as part of a, a group of people in a reasonably well-mechanically-defined system, your character is probably not a Mary Sue. Yeah. If you and, are and still he, concerned yeah. that your character is a Mary Sue then I would say that your course of action is to try and, like, pay attention, like, not to your character, but to whether you are dominating the game. And mm. whether, As, like, you... Because yeah. maybe maybe the other people playing the other characters like that you're doing that, just because, like, you can take the lead and they can follow on and be very reactive, which some people do like, but it, it's yeah. worth, like, finding out if they do like that. Because yeah. if they don't, maybe you want to make an active attempt to sort of step off and and, you know... Try and yeah. take a less active role. Yeah, I, I, I definitely benefit. Like, I, I, I definitely benefit from someone who's able to kind of. I'm able to play off with, hmm. and that helps me take more of an active role in role play. I'm really glad, actually, that um, all of your characters have these sort of like uh, very strong personal uh, plots and motivations. That mean yeah. that we can sort of constantly like have these one-to-one -one things between the DM and the player as to where that character wants to be going. And I remember that it was kind of difficult for me to do this with Jordan when he was playing Balasar, which is kind of where the whole um, Bailiff's storyline came from. We were just like, Let, let's let's make up a thing for, for Balasar to have a personal side quest about. And I think we've said this before um, on another podcast, but if you as a DM are worried that a character is not getting enough uh, screen time, as it were, give them a side quest. Ask them mm, yeah. what would be a fun problem yeah. for you to overcome. And then it's like it's like um, in Mass Effect or Dragon Age, it's like their personal quest. And then the D DM yeah. can just have like a, a bit of a, a hook for that turn up. And then you can all go and, and do the thing. It's like... And then hopefully, yeah. when they come and help you, like it's best that you know what's going on the most, because then you can take the lead. Uh, but it's also, I kind of hope that it's kind of like um, Shepard in, in Lair of the Shadow Broker. I really like the dynamic in Lair of the Shadow Broker because it's like, Shepard is along for the ride, but not leading, just being really competent at everything. 
Yeah. Like Liara is like Shepard, can we do this thing? And Shepard's like, yeah, sure. Let's 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 go and do it. You take the lead because you know what's going on here. But I'm not I'm not being made to look foolish. Like you're employing my help because I'm good at what I do and we are friends, and 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 we're just going to be awesome together. And I'm like, well, if you can sort of hit that dynamic with what you're doing, that's probably the thing that you should be doing all the time. Whoever has focus, everyone else still gets to be cool, and then. Nobody is a Mary Sue or a boring invincible hero or whatever because you yeah. feel like you've worked as a team and mitigated each other's weaknesses and boosted each other's strengths and stuff. Mm. I think a lot of the time when it comes to Mary Sue's, a lot of that kind of anxiety comes around the idea that like literally anyone will accuse any character of being a Mary Sue as long as it's a girl character. Mm. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's, that's most of the time. I, I feel yeah. like... To, to accuse a male character of being a Mary Sue, there has to be a reasonable amount of evidence that they fit the set of criteria that have been long established as being, like, yeah. this is what a Mary Sue is. And even then, it's yeah. going to take a long time before someone yeah, figures that the, out. And that's, the bar is much higher oh, for male characters as well absolutely. to be considered a Mary Sue. Because it's like, I, I think, actually, here is where we're getting to the crux of the matter, is that when somebody accuses a character of being a Mary Sue... Most of the time, what they're saying is this character is able to do things that I don't personally believe that this character should be able to do. Mm. And there's a pretty good reason as to why that's going to come up a lot more uh, with a female character being able to do anything than with somebody looking at Batman and going, the number of things that this man is able to do simultaneously while suffering minimal consequences breaks my suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think we really have to dig hard to mm. figure out exactly why there's a lot more scrutiny on female characters and indeed why the entire trope has a female character name. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I could go on and on about the treatment of female characters throughout the years as a person, but I feel like it would be its own separate podcast. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it could be its own separate horse of Brad's on its own, me just saying... Mm. I remember back in my day, this is how female characters were treated, and this is how it has progressed. Like, it's actually quite mm. nice, sort of. Like, when I saw Ray get accused of being a Mary Sue, I was like, huh, it's 2006 again. I had no idea we'd went back in time a whole decade, you know. Because I remember when Hermione Granger and Ginny Weasley and, would you dare believe it, Harry Potter's mother, Lily, got accused of being Mary Sue's. Now, uh, in fairness, there's a decent amount of um, criticism about how... Um, what's his name? The filmmaker. Uh, Chris Columbus? Oh, yeah, no. yeah. I, I was yeah. like, he, he has a really unbelievable name. What, what's his unbelievable... Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's literally <laughs> called Chris Columbus. Yes. That's not a, a, a real name that a real person, aside from the obvious... Has yeah, uh, but aside from the aside from the genocidal murder, yeah, of yeah. Columbus. But it's, it's like um, there's a decent amount of criticism about how he sort of um, downplayed her flaws. Yeah, downplayed yeah. her flaws and 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 upplayed her strengths. I mean, he definitely did that. I feel because, and I remember at the time it was like Hermione's a really good role model for young girls, and they really wanted to push that angle. And the way that they did that is they just basically made she's a really good role model for girls, so therefore she cannot have any problems with her whatsoever as a character. Which is not really Which, very healthy because it's not healthy. No. It's like okay, here is this role model for you. Uh, she does not make any mistakes ever. 
Um, even the things that she does that aren't presented as good by the narrative are morally ambiguous at best and definitely not incompetent. So don't ever do anything wrong. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, this is this tends to be why, you know, one, most Mary Sue's are girls is because mm. most fanfic writers are girls and Mary Sue's originate from fanfiction. As sort of like a... a um, I, I've seen a decent number of, of arguments that the Mary Sue is sort of like a... Um, What's the word? A, a developmental artifact? So yeah. Like it, it's a component part of a particular stage of the development of writers uh, that that happens to all writers, but you get to see it in the fan fiction sphere because the mm. bar for publishing in that sphere is very, very low because yeah. it's and accessible well, to everyone. Yeah, and the reason why it tends to happen to young women a lot more is because young women are constantly you know, socialised to examine their flaws a lot more closely mm. and be like... Do I look right? Am I skinny enough? Am I pretty enough? And so it makes remember, a lot of sense that a character that somebody like makes, that a character that a young girl makes, would have already solved all of those problems by being by perfect, being perfect, yes. so that they can get on to actually addressing the particular narrative problem that that, that you wanted to put down. It's mm. it's not conceptually a bad idea. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it's like it's like as a, as a young girl, the only solution that you can probably, well, young woman, I suppose, possibly think of as as being a solution to how do I stop not being perfect? Be perfect. That's the only solution you can think of. And it when makes you get logical to, sense. Yeah, and when you get into your twenties, hope hopefully when you get into your early twenties or your thirties, maybe even as late as your fifties, you will learn that the actual solution to not being perfect is to just stop giving a shit. Yeah. And be like, I'm human. This, by the way, is also where the whole like problematic discourse thing, like how do I become unproblematic and be the least problematic person in the world? You, you don't. The answer is you actually can't. You, you can't. You're always going to be a piece it's of not, shit. It's you're not human. achievable. And and it's like I think a lot of the time, <laughs> what those people are trying to get at, but they don't even realize that it's what they're trying to get at, is take responsibility for the times when you fuck up. Because yeah. even though you can't stop this stuff from happening entirely, like it still has an effect in the world. And a lot yeah. more character development would come from being able to do that. That is a character strength that you legitimately yeah. can develop. Yeah, you can legitimately become responsible. Hmm. And that's a scary word, but you, you two can... This is getting very like you two, you know, but you know, the Mary Sue exists a lot of the time because a lot of writers have this nervousness about... Hmm. Okay, well, my female characters have to be completely perfect. Yeah. Because, of course, any female character with a flaw will get called useless or whiny or shit or mm. unempowering. And that's a thing that needs to be addressed as well. But it's like, it's you know, sometimes the option is be a Mary Sue or don't be a Mary Sue. And I Sue. feel like there's sort of also a phase. I don't know if it's if it's like a rejection of that idea or whether it's mm, yeah. some chronological stage before or after it where... Once there's this realization that a a totally perfect character is not a feasible thing that can continue to exist, the anti Sue phase, yeah, where you just have um, this character who's so, composed almost entirely of flaws. You know, they're yeah. they're impolite. They make bad decisions. Well, sometimes they make bad decisions. Sometimes they're just like like the uh, the the broody broody email archetype. Yeah. Um, but you know yeah. that that. That like they're almost ridiculously plain and unattractive. They're not particularly intelligent. Nobody really likes them, and it, it's sort of difficult to see. Okay, well, why am I reading about mm. this person then? 
if I'm supposed to hate them so much. Yeah. Although, in my experience, in in my experience, and this is anecdotal, I'll admit, but I found a lot more of the characters generated during that stage, uh, regardless of who the author is, uh, at least when I was growing up in the particular, you know, internet zeitgeist of the early 2000s, tended to be male. Yeah. Which I suppose makes sense with what we've been saying, is that, like, you would then look to that and be like, well, I can't write about a perfect female character. I've, I've figured out why that doesn't work. But I don't know how to fix the problem. So yeah. I want to write about somebody who isn't that, so let's write about yeah. a flawed male character instead. Yeah. Is that a lot of the time these don't write a Mary Sue or Mary Sue litmus tests. Mm. They'll teach you what a Mary Sue trait is. Yeah. But they won't actually treat you, tell you, okay, this is actually how you write a balanced, mm. complex character. I remember the best advice I ever got, hey, these truths having one of these traits doesn't necessarily mean your character's a Mary Sue. It's just think of them as like spices in a dish. You don't want to use too yeah. many or else it'll become too busy. And that that's ultimately the only successful writing mm. advice I've ever gotten from a Mary Sue Litmus There's test. honestly not a huge amount of like procedural advice that can be given to somebody not to make a character yeah. like this. In fact, it's even conceivable that that kind of character is a natural component part of the development process of somebody doing writing or somebody doing role-playing or anything like that. Mm. And given the possibility that that's the case, sometimes you just gotta roll with it, man. Like, yeah. if somebody at your table makes... Right. Let, shall we do if somebody at your table makes a Mary Sue? Yeah. First of all, okay. shut up. <laughs> T- to be honest, like like, nothing you say at this point is gonna be good. Because... Maybe this character could be conceived of as a Mary Sue or a boring invincible hero or whatever, but maybe they couldn't, and you're probably going to end up being rude regardless of what you say about the subject. So it's fine, don't worry. Either other people at the table will have a problem with this character for long enough that the subject will be brought up, which will be bad for the person who controls the character, but, you know, it might go some way to solving the problem. Or, more likely... As the person gets better at doing the role-playing, and as long as you let that person engage narratively, they'll want to write... Well, I say want to write. They'll want to play, like, more interesting stories. And then they, once they've explored the character enough, they'll realise what aspects of their character are significantly limiting them in their capacity to, like, tell those stories. And so they'll start adding flaws to the character. I think it's very, very likely that that will happen because mm. there's really a very limited amount that you can do with a character who is too good at everything. Because, well, yeah. they're limiting for the same reason that we've been saying that people don't like them. You know, they're, they're just... They never really experience any... Hardship. Any, any, any hardship, no. Um, you know, it's the weirdest thing, but what's popping into my head right now is that there's an episode of Arthur about this. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember the names of the characters, but it, it's something to do with like their uh, their. Um, I think they they actually got. Uh, is his name Daniel Handler, uh, the the Lemony Snicket guy? Y- yes. Yeah, I think so. I think they actually got him in to do it. And there's like a, a a whole a plot where one of the characters like starts writing, and then the first story that she writes has not only this Mary Sue, but a plot where nothing happens. Like there's no <laughs> inherent conflict. There's no development. There's nothing yeah. like that. Uh, and then 
she gets bad feedback and then then like the second time she writes a, a good one that that is actually entertaining and it's like well that that happens that does actually happen yeah. like people will find that not only because of the feedback on their work but also on what they want to do like what they actually want to play or what they want to write they'll be like this is a really limiting character and sometimes sometimes they won't get why and they'll just want to pave the character and start again i'd say let them do that a couple of times they will like mm. if you're D- if you're a gm like let them do that a couple of times they'll figure it out i i promise you they will it might take some time but you got to let people have that kind of development man Sometimes it's hard, yeah. but like they're not going to get any better if they don't really understand why that's coming off badly. And it's just a game. Is is only game? Why you have to be med? I, I I have memed too much in the podcast. I must leave now and and never come back. It's it's your podcast now, Beth. You have to edit all of it. Uh, okay. Um, I will do air horns for every topic transition okay. that we do. Okay. That that. That sounds like I'm leaving the editing in in capable hands. There'll be a slight tonal <laughs> shift, I think, in the editing, but I'm sure that our our audience will uh, will, will be able to adjust to it in time. <laughs> I don't even know what this is getting in. Um. So yeah, I, I feel like yeah. was there something else that you wanted to say? Um. So in summation, anyone who criticised Rare for being a Mary Sue's a fucking idiot. Yeah. Uh, not only in terms <laughs> of their severe underestimation of Ray's abilities, but their severe overestimation of the abilities of pretty much every other character in the film. Apart from Poe Dameron, oh, yeah, though, he pa- really pa- is Dameron the best is, pilot in the Resistance. Yeah, Poe Dameron is, is, is brilliant at everything, but he's just one man. <laughs> he can't do everything! Yeah, and he spends a lot of the narrative in conceptual not-dead space. Yeah, like... It's... <laughs> Like what was he doing? I don't know. Was it was he getting his hair tussled just right? Mm. So that when he came back, we were like, <gasps> I imagine there's probably like a, a supplementary book that explains how that happened. Yeah, I know. I know he has a prequel comic, yeah. but he should definitely have a book where it's like, this is how I got off got off Jakku all by myself without meeting any other characters well, who were intrinsic to the plot. Th- doesn't he tell um, Finn that the only reason he didn't come back for Finn is he thought he was dead? Yeah. So, I mean, that bit at least makes sense. Yeah. The rest of it is like, I I feel that uh, this could have been cut less cleanly so that we didn't... Because I'm pretty sure if there is a piece of supplementary material, then it will be based on, like, cut parts of the script. Yeah. But it's not in the text, man. And I'm I'm not that enthused about Death of the Author as a concept, but eh, sometimes, sometimes you just got to roll with it. I love Death of the Author as a concept. Like, my major problem with Death of the Author as a concept is that I find it's very, very oppositional. Well, I say it's very, very oppositional. I think the way that it's interpreted by a lot of uh, people in the writing circles I see is they believe that it's very oppositional to implicit storytelling. Yeah, I don't think it has to be. I don't think it has to be either. I think just, like, the way that a lot of particularly fanfiction writers I see interpreting it are like, oh, Death of the Author means that if something isn't explicitly stated in the text, it's not canon. And I'm like, that's not particularly true and i feel like like uh something i want to say is it's cool if you think that the lgbt representation in harry potter was shit because it was but dumbledore grindelwald is in the text it is it it is it's it's not explicit possibly it should have been explicit but it's in the text 
you know, like it's not like Word of God and stuff like yeah. that. Like a lot of people who want criticize J.K. Rowling don't get that she doesn't understand how Word of God works, and also they don't understand how Word of God works. Also, the so, the way that Word of God works is changing as well because we have yeah. with us the capacity now a lot more than when the concept was first uh, proposed to record, especially when people talk about stuff on Twitter, to record like the archive of every uh, verbal amendment that that creator has made to their work, many of which are largely inconsequential outside the like context of the exchange they happened in. So it's like not even important enough to start invoking death of the author and and just invalidating it out of hand because it's like, well, what actual difference does it make? I think, you know, I think as well, like, if someone asked me, oh, what about this character that you're writing? And, like, it was just, like, a casual conversation. It would be, like, really different to, like, if I gave, like, a formal interview Mm. or was answering a question at a formal panel or something like that. Like, Twitter is like, ah, here are some random fucking thoughts. Yeah. And also, like, I feel like a lot of the stuff, especially as indicated by her, um seeming support for the idea of uh, non-white Harry and Hermione is that yeah. what J.K. Rowling is actually saying with all of the like tidbits and stuff she releases on Twitter is, I don't know, man, make it up. Yeah. Like, it's fine. Like, whatever you come up with is fine. Yeah. And it's, I think, yeah. You know, so it's- which is, which makes sense because that's how J.K. Rowling was one of those writers who, along with Stephanie Mayer, was one of the big proponents for, you know, fan shit. Because before then, we got sued. A lot. There were, <laughs> a lot. there were still writers before that who were, like, sort of implicitly supportive of fan work. Oh, yeah. Although, to be honest, they didn't get a lot of support from their publishers for doing that. No. Um, but, Whereas, yeah. like, you know, J.K. Rowling and Stephanie Mayer were, like, some of the first two really big mm. writers who went, if you want to make fan fiction and fan art, that's actually really, that's brilliant, and I love and that. And for Stephanie Mayer, like, that's, it's really obvious why. I feel like yeah. for J.K. Rowling, it, it's more that just that was something where that she she sort of has a very um cuz cuz she uh, brought herself up from being on benefits didn't she so yeah. she probably has like a quite a, a very um i can't think of the word that i'm i'm looking at so a very fundamental possibly even socialist idea to the idea of writing <laughs> uh, yeah. just to you know the idea of of shared information and and stuff like that whereas yeah. now w- with Stephanie Mayer and uh, a bunch of her contemporaries we have Really, I mean, obviously not the first generation raised on fan fiction because, like, Dante's yeah. Inferno and the White Sargasso Sea existed long, yes. long before that. Well, you know, but... so, Ste- Stephanie May had a curated list of fan fiction that she'd read and liked, mm. which is amazing to think of that time. I know that some writers, I know that all comic book writers are explicitly forbidden from reading fan fiction about comic book characters because of lawsuits that have happened in the past. Mm. Um, against comic book writers and um, by comic book writers. Like, basically, it's like, don't sue people who write fan fiction and don't get sued by people who write fan fiction. Yeah. It, it's, you know? it's, um, I don't really know how this is relevant, but it seems no, like yeah, good but stuff. It's, it's interesting to talk about. Yeah, it, it is. And, but I think we're going to see democratization, that's it. Yeah, the mm. democratization oh, yeah. of uh, writing. I'm not actually sure that is it, but whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Um, writing for the masses. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see some, more some, of that yeah. going forward just because like, there are going to be more and more writers coming forward whose grounding in writing community wasn't 
like um, the Inklings or whatever. It was literally internet fan fiction. Yeah, I think as well. I think like I think that's something I very strongly believe in as well. Like the fact that like I'm very much a part like the idea of a piece of art of work belongs implicitly to the fans and like while an author's intent is important for the context of this sort of thing if you have some meaning to it that you put to it yourself that is just as valid as the author's reading of it you know if the authors are like his hat is red because he was angry all the time and you're like no his hat is red because he's gay that is no less that's that's a terrible example but yeah yeah but yeah it's a terrible example but you know it's you know do you know what I mean? It's like your reading of that is still as valid as hmm. the authors, even though they're the ones who wrote it. So uh, basically, what we're saying uh, is that Jace Bellerin is bisexual and in love with uh, Gideon Jura. He, yeah. Hmm. I don't even I don't even give a shit about Magic the Gathering, and even I know that they're in love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> like Jace's thing for Liliana might not totally be dead, which is a pity because it's not a good idea. But but. I mean, who wouldn't date Gideon? He's nice and responsible and pretty and Greek, I guess. You know? You know, abs that you could grate cheese on. Yeah. He tries his best in in that that big white art for those two cards where he's just sort of whipping the Eldrazi and it doesn't really seem to be doing anything, but, you know, he's there. He's putting the legwork in. Yeah. He's doing his best. He's he's doing his best. (laughs) (laughs) You can't go wrong with Gideon. <laughs> See that's that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of character you want instead of like a Mary Sue. Just have someone who's like has limits, but yeah. they're pretty solid at what they do. And then th- yeah, that, that will be a likable character who is responsible, dependable, nice, mm. is always doing their best, and most importantly, which is to be honest, the kind of, the kind of character <laughs> that 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 Superman actually is, as far as I'm giving that is, understand, yeah. rather than just being able to do everything. Because admittedly, yeah. his, his abilities are far beyond those of a human, hence why he is the super man. Yeah. But mostly what makes him likable as a character is his strong sense of responsibility and kindness. Yeah. Which is, Can I um, Oh, uh, one of the, the comics I've seen out of, of context that really demonstrates that is, uh, I presume, Beth, you know what I'm, I'm going to talk about. The, uh, the one where he goes and... Is it Captain Marvel that Shazam's real name? It's the, this is really complicated. So back then he was probably called Captain Marvel, but now he's called Shazam because of copyright reasons. Because Marvel have a Captain Marvel. Okay, but uh, <laughs> when Superman finds out that Shazam is just like a kid who turns into a adult man who has superpowers, he goes to the druid people who made him like that and shouts at them. The wizard Shazam, yeah, yeah. and it's like, uh what the fuck, dude? What the fuck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> and the wizard's like, I'm a wizard! And I can do whatever I want. I don't answer to you, Superman. And Superman says, and like, Superman's fuck like, you that's, don't. That's, that's He's not. a fucking kid. <laughs> what the hell have you done? Yeah. He's like, he's ten! He's ten and you've given him the power of multiple gods! Why did you think this would be a good idea? I am a wizard. That's not. That's not a justification. <laughs> I'm a Superman, and yeah, often it's cool, but sometimes it's shit, and a ten-year-old shouldn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like you know, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's like that sort of stuff. It's yeah. You 
Which, by the way, I really like how in Dawn of Justice, Henry Cavill kind of plays Superman with this sort of quiet confidence, and he's so, like, gentle. Hmm. It's like, it's like, yeah, I could probably break everyone's neck in this room if I wanted to, and I could do it really quickly, but I'm not going to do that, because I'm nice. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's definitely, like, characters like that, like uh, Steve Rogers and Superman and Gideon Jura. See, Steve Rogers isn't necessary because he doesn't have doesn't really have any like amazing. No, he doesn't. He's but just... he's just like a genuinely nice guy who's like yeah, he's talk- just can like, be talked to. I'm just gonna do my best. Like that, that's kind of why um, I like to relate Gideon a bit more to Steve Rogers. Just yeah, he always tries his best, and he's got this yeah. very strong sort of unifying community minded spirit that's yeah. just easy to get along with, and it's like. To, to try and sort of circuitously bring this back to role-playing games, you're probably not going to go far wrong if you make a character like that. Yeah. It They might be difficult to play if you're not actually that kind of person, but you can try. Like, you absolutely can try. Like, try, try for a character who's just up for everything and kind and, and willing to, to do their best. And it's like... It sounds like a boring character, but as long as the character is dependably all of those things, it's, that sounds yeah. like a, a cool person to hang out with. Yeah, you know, you you want to be a reliable, competent character. Just be hmm. the re- the reliability. Be the... I think is is definitely the uh, the the superpower yeah. of the character in question. Yeah, you know, because it's yeah. like, oh, this, this character is, is is boring. It's like, well, not really. This yeah. character would not work on their own, but. This character catalyzes, I think, a lot of the uh, the more volatile characters around them. Yeah. Uh, just by being the sort of amplifying force. Yeah. And like, that's not nothing. You know, you know, like Captain America has to deal with Iron Man and Hawkeye and the Hulk and the Hulk and Spider Man and Spider Man, who is really, really irresponsible. Like Spider Man is ridiculously irresponsible. Mm. Spider-Man is so irresponsible, it's ridiculous. It sort of, like, explains to you why Spidey Pool is popular. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Which... it would probably be terrible, because, like, neither of those people is the control in the relationship. Yeah. I actually kind of feel like what makes Spidey Pool interesting is Spider-Man switches around from being, like, the goofy, irresponsible one to being the responsible one. Oh, yeah, one. Spider-Man is definitely I... the straight man in that particular double act. And... And he's like, and he's like, oh my god, is this is this what Mary Jane is like when I'm dating her? I have to quit doing this. <laughs> While yeah. like I don't know, Wade um gets like something caught in a vending machine and gets his like arms stuck in it, and he's like, can someone chop this off so I can regrow it? And Spider Man's just like, oh my god, this is why Gwen Stacy died because I'm irresponsible. Mm-hmm. The vending machine is Gwen Stacy. <laughs> the vending machine is Gwen Stacy. I think that's us, because we're coming up to an yeah. hour and a half on yeah. the recording now, and I really do not have a lot of time either to edit it or just in general. I know, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's that. We've probably said a lot of helpful things. Some of them were probably yeah. even related to the topic. Yeah. Um so, yeah, this was, a, I suppose, a special episode in that we'd been planning for a particular event to pass before we did yeah. this one. But uh, for more episodes, we do still want to take your contributions as well as your uh, questions for our Q&A episode. Mm. Uh, we do have some. We're keeping them in the tank. If you've already sent a question, we've probably received it. 
Uh, I won't know if we haven't received it, unfortunately, but I have received some. Um, but I don't think it's enough to really make an entire episode yet, so we need more. Please, please give us more. Mm-hmm. And uh, so QCon is coming up soon, and I'm planning to run another experiment. Okay. It's, it's different, but I'm pretty sure that we could do a post-mortem on that as well. Cool. It's. Uh, I, I will let you know uh, afterwards how it goes. But until then, things are going to be a bit shaky, so I will get these edited when I can. Cool. All right. So, uh, I'm Alex. I'm Beth. Uh, you can find us. Uh, I will link our like Twitter and Tumblr and whatever below. We've yeah. said it enough times, to be honest, and it's much easier to have clickable links in the description or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the music was by Kevin McLeod, and apparently... The background image behind the text on the YouTube version is some horrible amalgam of Piers Morgan's head and Kalisa Algelani's body that I knocked up in Photoshop. So, uh, Kalisa Algelani belongs to Bioware, and Piers Morgan probably shouldn't exist. A Piers Morgan belongs in hell. Mm. Mm-hmm. Belongs to hell? Uh, I don't know. I, I... That one demon that's uh, made entirely out of legs with a lion face in the middle, that's who he belongs to. <laughs> I, I mean... Or that one owl with really long legs. I kind of feel like Piers Morgan would be more successful if he'd made some sort of pa- Faustian pact, so possibly he doesn't belong to hell yet. <laughs> Eventually mm. he'll get there. Well, once he thinks of the idea or gets made the offer. Yeah. Anyway, so we, we will see you next time, whenever exactly next time is. Uh, and until mm-hmm. then, take care of yourselves. And goodbye. Bye. As an aside, uh... And I promise you that this isn't a paid product placement or anything. Uh, if you're still using the most recent version of Adobe Acrobat, ditch it and get Exchange Viewer. I mean, basically anything other than Adobe Acrobat for opening PDF files is going to improve your experience. But uh, Exchange Viewer like opens the same PDFs in a fraction of the time with all the same features and is much, much more stable. Uh, since switching to it, I have been a lot, lot happier, especially during our Skype games where, like, I have to reference a character sheet. So here we go. That does genuinely sound like Alex has been paired. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if the exchange people want me to to pay to advertise their product, I will do because I, I genuinely do love it. Although, to be honest, <laughs> to be honest, I think most of the people listening who frequently use Adobe Acrobat would know. It's not a particularly high bar to uh, to to surmount. Yeah. I like sort of PDF because um, if you were reading comics, you could um, do it so that like the comics actually had like little flippy pages, and you could turn them like you were reading a real comic in real life. I remember I once got like a bunch of comics uh, really cheap off. Uh, I don't think it was Free Comic Book Day, but it was some event, and I got the yeah. uh, the the Comicsology app. Yeah. And I really I, I was like really skeptical about it until I realized that it would actually let you like read panel by panel and you could swipe to like change panels and I was like, Oh, this is yeah, this is this good. is the future. I can read yeah. I can read comics on my phone in a way that like actually makes sense for reading comics on my phone.
Yeah. If you ever buy a digital first comic like Smallville or I think Sens- is it the Wonder Woman Sensation comics? Fuck Beth, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But if you ever read any of the DC Digital First, they always have like really like massive panels, and all the pages like it's always like ma- they're like really thick for comics, because obviously they're drawn to be read on a phone. So you have big detailed pages with lots of stuff in, and mm. maybe only have like three or four panels on a comic book page when you get them in their physical copy. 